Welcome to the Seven Hills Church Podcast with Marcus Mika. We're excited you're here listening as Pastor Marcus is about to bring an incredible teaching that is sure to inspire, motivate, and lift you up. You can visit us on our website at sevenhillschurch.tv or download our free Seven Hills Church app to watch or listen to more exclusive content. Thank you for tuning in and we hope you enjoyed the message. chapter 19, Luke chapter 19 and verse 1. It says, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through and a man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see Jesus, who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead, climbed up a sycamore fig tree to see him. And since Jesus was coming that way, when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must go stay at your house today. And he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. And all the people saw this and began to mutter that he's gone to the guest to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord. Here I now give half my possessions to the poor, and if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I'll pay them back four times the amount. And Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because this man, too, is a son of Abraham, for the Son of Man came to seek and save that which is lost. Last year we talked about having a new year for a new year. Today, I want to talk to you about uh, draw near for a new year. Draw near for a new year. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for his word. We thank you uh, that truth sets us free. And Father, we ask that today, somehow, some way in our time together, Father, you'd remove me from the picture. Any limit that there might be that I bring to this scenario, we ask that you lift that. And Father, that you would through divine inspiration, you somehow, once again, like you always have been faithful to, you use me as a mouthpiece to speak to these amazing people, their potential, their futures, their giftings. And Father, may we all, as a result of being here together, may we draw close to you and draw near in this new year. In Jesus' name, we all said, amen. Hey, listen, uh, I'm a huge football fan. I have been my whole life. And, uh, and I can remember how this, this began in, in my life. My grandfather used to pull me and my little cousin together. And every Monday night, we would go to his house and we would watch Monday night football. And where we were at, where we are from, you were either a Kansas City Chiefs fan or a Dallas Cowboys fan. And I became this avid Cowboys fan is a is a young boy. I mean, I love the Cowboys. I mean, I love the Cowboys. Everything in my room was Cowboys. My grandfather actually built me a Dallas Cowboy bed and dresser. Everything in my bedroom was Dallas Cowboys. I had a Dallas Cowboy alarm clock. I had a Dallas Cowboy bedspread. I had a Dallas Cowboy painting mural on my wall. Everything in my bedroom was Dallas Cowboys. I even had a Dallas Cowboy bicycle, a Dallas Cowboy bicycle. And every night I went to bed in Dallas Cowboy pajamas, the kind of pajamas with the little footsies on them. 
So I love the Dallas Cowboys. And I also love sports. I played every sport. I played football from the time they let me play football. I played football. And, uh, and when I got into junior high, something happened between sixth and seventh grade. I was always a starter. I always you know, was, was usually the starting quarterback. And when I moved to my seventh grade year, everyone else grew, but I didn't grow. Even though I had historically been small, now I was extra small. I was so small. I was the smallest person on the team. And because I was the smallest person, the equipment that they had didn't fit me. And I didn't want to go use the equipment from the elementary kids because it was a different look. You know, it had a different color and all those kind of things to it. So I didn't want to admit that it didn't fit me. So I would force this equipment on, but it was too big for me. One time my coach went to go yell at me and he would pick us up by our face mask and get in our face. This is before everybody got sensitive about everything. And he picked me up by my face mask and he'd be yelling at us, spitting. That's how he did. But he went to go pick me up by my face mask and the whole helmet came off because it didn't fit me. And because I was so short and because I was so small, I can remember a a sport that I loved. I mean, I loved that sport. I immediately began to hate showing up to practice. I absolutely hated it. I had never played in games because of my size, because of the equipment was too big. Uh, I couldn't play uh, even up to my ability, even though I was small. And I can remember I just lost my passion for the sport. And I went to my dad and said, hey, I want to quit. And my dad always had one rule. If you start something, you finish it. And I hated him for that. But he didn't let me quit. And I would go to practice and I hated the sport. I was miserable. I lost my confidence. I was humiliated, embarrassed that my friends who, you know, who used to always look you know, we played sports together. Now they kind of were embarrassed by me. I can remember uh, feeling insecure, inadequate. I can remember uh, just a sense of, of, you know, I lost my confidence. And all of those things happened because I was just short. And as I read this story this week about Zacchaeus, of course, we know how it goes that that. He was in this city, Jericho, and Jesus came walking by. And as Jesus came walking by, because of his size, he couldn't see over the crowd. And so he found a tree that was there and he was able to climb that tree. And as a result, he was able to see Jesus and Jesus was able to see him. And the long term impact of that moment was his whole life was changed. And the truth of the matter is everybody is short in one area of their life or another. Every single person in this room is short somewhere. Some people feel like they've fallen short spiritually. Some people feel like they've fallen short in their marriage. They just feel like they feel short as a husband or they have fallen short as, as a, a wife We feel like we've fallen short as parents sometimes in raising our kids. I know that Sarah and I have. Sometimes you just feel like, you know, what do you do? Are you messing them up for the rest of their lives? Sometimes you feel short in your career. You thought that you would be one place, but you're at another place. There's so many areas we find ourselves falling short. And the thing about feeling or falling short is the shorter you feel, the more miserable you are. You find yourself losing your passion. 
The things that you were once passionate about, all of a sudden now you find yourselves frustrated or intimidated, insecure, losing your confidence, and maybe even going to the extreme where you just feel like you just want to give up and quit in that area of your life. But I want you to notice that one small decision changed Zacchaeus's life. It was a basic decision. It wasn't major. It wasn't significant. Probably wasn't even anything most people would have noticed except the decision to climb the tree changed his life. And what I want you to see is he was short in an area of his life. But I also want you to see that God was able to give him a tree in the area he was short. God was able to give him something in an area of his life that he was lacking. God was able to provide what was necessary to Zacchaeus to make up for that lack in his life. In any area you fall short, can I help you? God has already been faithful to plant a tree for you in that area. You must be willing, you have to be willing to climb the trees that God has already planted. Did you know fasting is a tree? Prayer is a tree? Church, you're here tonight, can I help you? Church is one of God's trees. Scripture, the word of God, not just fasting or praying, but committing to to open up the word of God in the season of fasting and prayer. And even beyond that, that is one of God's tree. And of course, the most important tree of all you could ever climb is Calvary's cross that God was faithful to plant for you and for me because we were so lacking that we would need him to make up that deficit. So a tree is easy to define. It's easy to find. It's anything that allows you to be in the best possible place to see Jesus. And it allows you to also be in the best possible place for Jesus to see you. And what I love about fasting and prayer is it not only gets your eyes on God, it also gets God's eyes on you. But you have to be willing to climb the tree that God's given you. Wouldn't have been any good to Zacchaeus if he would have hung out around the tree talked about the tree, leaned up against the tree, wouldn't have done him any good if he would have looked at the tree, touched the tree. Come on, Zacchaeus had to climb the tree and be willing to not just go up a little bit, but make the decision, I'm going to climb up as high as I need to, and I'm not going to stop until I see him, and I'm not going to stop until he sees me. He made a decision, if I climb this tree, I'll get a glimpse of him. And somehow, someway, climbing that tree changed his entire life. And from that moment on, he was done being defined by the area of life that had kept him short up until that moment. Can I help you understand the real purpose of fasting is not for fasting's sake, But the real purpose of fasting is to change your life. The purpose of fasting is to change your life. When you think about a spiritual discipline, 
And there are many that God gives us. But any spiritual discipline that doesn't maintain the proper motive, any spiritual discipline that doesn't maintain the proper motive has the potential of becoming legalistic or religious. And when something becomes legalistic or religious, even though it may have began as something good, it ultimately becomes burdensome. And burdensome is, is, is something that, that if you're not careful, the biblical picture of that word burdensome is like a man who has a boulder that rolls over onto his chest. And the boulder over time as the man breathes, he's no longer to inhale or exhale and eventually the boulder crushes his lungs, crushes his rib cage, crushes his chest, and ultimately crushes his heart. And so it's not the will of God that we allow a spiritual discipline to become di- religious or to become legalistic because it ends up being burdensome to us. And what was meant to be a positive things for, thing for us, before we know it, just becomes crushing because we immediately look at the spiritual discipline with the wrong motive or we see it with the wrong eyes. If you allow a spiritual discipline to, to become a burden before you know it, you start beating yourself up. You start feeling like, well, I'm not fasting like maybe what somebody else is and I'm not spiritual like they are. Or you begin to think like, I don't even want to fast. What's wrong with me if I don't want to fast? I don't get it. I think it's dumb. Or you begin to measure yourself. You thought you would fast so much and then you fell or you fell short. And now all of a sudden, because you're not, you're feeling like now you're beating yourself up. You're being harsh on yourself or sometimes even worse than feeling guilty for not being enough in a, in something like a fast or praying or anything spiritual. Sometimes what's even worse is you are fasting a lot and you are being really strong in this area. And you start looking at other people that aren't doing what you're doing and they're not fasting like you're fasting and they're not disciplined like you're being disciplined. So you actually get like this spiritual pride to you and you start looking down on people that aren't fasting like you are. So Any spiritual discipline that God gives you must maintain the proper motive. And it's been this way with spiritual disciplines throughout history that if you're not careful for why the spiritual discipline was given to you, then, and it gets the wrong motive, it begins to be something so burdensome to you. Throughout history, you would find, for example, that they built the Tower of Babel. Their goal initially was to be close to God. That's what they wanted. The desire is a positive thing. To, to be, they said if we build it, we'll be able to go, build up to the heavens and we'll be able to be close to God. But their desire wasn't close for the purpose of relationship. Their desire was to be close so they could actually be God themselves. And even though their desire was to, to be close, their motive was wrong. And because their motive was wrong, of course, the discipline got tore down. We see this with the Ten Commandments that were given. The Ten Commandments were given and you know what? People came along behind that spiritual discipline and did they created over 600 more commands around every single one of those commands to make sure that no one ever even got close to one of the commands. So you would know that you broke one of the 600 other commands that you were getting close to breaking one of the commands. And before you know it, everybody's walking on eggshells all the time and everybody's walking around being the FBI and the 
private investigators for God. You broke that little law over. You took too many steps on the wrong day and you did this and you shouldn't have ate that kind of food. You shouldn't have done. And, and before you know it, what was meant, the 10 commandments were meant to introduce us to our lack. So we would actually open up for our need for God that we couldn't be righteous on our own. We could never be good enough or holy enough on our own. And it was to open up the door, not so we could be righteous enough to get God. So we would recognize that we would never be righteous enough. So it would open our hearts so God could get to us. But all throughout scripture, they would, people have done things like go and they build monasteries. And the idea is solitude or silence or pulling away to be alone with God or private prayer prayer would lead to these crazy ideas that if I could just separate myself from the world and never have any encounter with the world, that somehow that would keep the world out of me and I could be more spiritual and people would take a spiritual discipline. The wrong motive would come on it and it would completely become something that God never intended. And Jesus actually criticized this. He criticized people that prayed with the wrong motive. He criticized them. He said things like, don't stand on the corner and pray big prayers, you know, just to be seen and heard. He would criticize people that would fast to brag about fasting to other people to try to be seen or spiritual. He, he, would, he would criticize people that would give to show off. And, and the idea was, it's not just good enough to fast or to pray or to give or to be somebody that's given to a spiritual discipline. You also have to have the right motive and you have to know what the will of God is behind it. Micah chapter six and verse eight says what the Lord truly requires of us is devotion to himself to do justly, to love mercy and to walk in humility before the Lord. The point is not fasting. That's not the goal. Fasting is the beginning. It's not the end. It's the way you kickstart things. It's a trigger. It's, it's the initiation of something. And the goal is how it will influence or impact the rest of my life. The goal wasn't to climb a tree The goal was to get closer to Jesus. The goal was to see Jesus. The goal was that Jesus could see him. And the ultimate goal was that his life would be changed. And so when you think about fasting, many times people don't just stop doing food or something like that. Normally, they'll also clean up areas of their life where there's compromise. People decide, well, I'm not going to gossip during the fast. I'm not going to be negative during the fast. Not going to do any good for me to fast, let's say food, if I'm going to continue to drink too much and get drunk, you know, so people will fast that people will fast things like, like sexual promiscuity, or they'll stop it, or they'll, they'll not be arrogant, or they'll, they'll stop, or many times people will start things they've stopped. They'll make a decision like, Hey, I haven't been reading my Bible. I need to pick up reading my Bible again. I need to pick up praying again. But if you just do those things during the fast, then the fast becomes dangerous. Because you're just taking a break from sin or taking a break from compromise or taking a, taking a break from apathy or taking a break from spiritual laziness. And in your mind, you intend to return to it. So the goal is not to stop something for 21 days for the sake of the 21 days. The goal is to kickstart 
a change in your life within the 21 days that will go outside of that 21 days and change every day, every week, every month for and ultimately, hopefully change your life. So write this down. If you're taking notes, I believe that this is something worth writing. The goal is ongoing consistency is much more important than short-term intensity. So if you just flare up for 21 days and say, I'm going to be a spiritual giant for 21 days. I'm going to be super spiritual intense for 21 days. And I'm going to do it all. I'm going to pray. I'm going to read. I'm going to do all. I'm going to be spiritually intense for 21 days. But then you fall back to the patterns before the fast. Can I just help you that a healthier way to go at it would be consistency over the long call is more valuable than short-term intensity. I never knew this, but as a pastor, you have to learn certain things that, that, that you never thought you would learn. One of the things I had to learn is, is I had to learn the way that the world looks at finances. You know, I never thought I would have to know these kind of things. And if you don't know this, one of the things that the world looks at when it comes to, uh, let's say if you're in stock or you do something like that, what they, any type of an investor, they're going to look at steady progress, steady improvement. If any business or corporation has steady improvement year upon year after year, top line and bottom line, steady progress, that's a good investment. Steady progress, just mm, steady goes it, just steady progress. Now, even over a long period of time, let's say over five years or 10 years of steady progress, the yield may not be as great as a business over five or 10 years that has really high highs and really low lows. And so you would think to yourself, the goal over 10 years is the person that wins is the person that makes the most, most money. But that's not the person that wins. Because high highs and low lows is what they call a seesaw effect. And a seesaw effect is always a credit risk. Whenever people see that and that and that, they know it is an unsustainable model. That is an unsustainable way. And anybody that's out there and they're going to put their whole life, they're going to put their confidence or they're going to put other people's retirement and future into investing in something. They know that they cannot invest in something that has really high highs and really low lows. And so what the enemy wants us to believe is that you're going to be more spiritual if you can go really, really high. Get really, really intense. Get really, really intense for 21 days. But the goal is not to be intense for 21 days. The goal is steady progress. The progress that begins during the fast. It begins in this time. It starts in this time. But the goal is not the fast for the fasting's sake. The goal is that it changes your life for the long call. And so the right motive behind a fast is God change me, not temporarily, not momentarily, but change me 
during the fast in such a way that it would lead to ongoing change for the rest of my life. And so I come to you during this 21 days. I dedicate my life. I consecrate this time. I separate myself from the normal flow of life. And I'm asking you to change me, change me. And when you do that, it doesn't become burdensome because you're not asking God to change you during 21 days. You're seeking God for a long term change during that time. And the reason it brings freedom instead of burden is because you're not focused on what you're fasting. You're focused on why you're fasting and why I'm fasting is not so I can give something up. I'm fasting because I want God to change me. I don't want to be the person I was at the end of 2019 that I was at the beginning. And it doesn't finish during the fast, but it does begin and is initiated during the fast. Are you understanding what I'm saying at all? So fasting in and of itself is not enough. Isaiah 58 and verse six, and I'm gonna just paraphrasing what the scripture says here, that they ignored the way fasting should change their life. In verses three and four, it literally says that the fast did not change their life, that as soon as the fast was over, they went back to the same negative patterns. So the purpose of all worship and fasting is worship. The purpose of all worship is to change the worshiper. It's to change me. It's to change my heart. It's to change my life. It's to change my mind. It's to change my attitude. It's to change my behaviors. It's to change my relationships. It's to change me. And once God changes me, then there's a guarantee that that change will begin to leak out into the rest of my life. Zechariah chapter seven, verses four through five says, God asked the question, did you fast for me? Did you fast for me? So a fast is not just something you're saying, God, I want you to change me. You're doing it because you really, Zacchaeus didn't climb the tree just to climb the tree. He did it because he wanted to get a glimpse of the Lord. In Acts chapter 13 and verse two, it says they fasted and ministered to the Lord. When you fast, you should be ministering to God, not just not eating. You should be finding times to worship, coming to prayer, finding times to open up your word in the scripture and just taking those times and allowing your life to minister to the Lord. Joel chapter two and verse 12 says, turn to me with all your heart, comma, with fasting. The emphasis is on fasting But the desired goal is our hearts. Notice a true fast. The heart is in it. Your heart is there. And every time you fast, can I help you? You're climbing the tree. Every time you fast, you're positioning yourself to see God in a greater way than you did before the fast. Every time you fast, it is impossible to fast with that kind of heart and that kind of motive. And at the end of the fast, not be closer to God than you were at the beginning of the fast. And so when you fast, you're 
in such a way you're trying to say, God, I want to draw near to you. I want to draw near to you in this new year. And it's impossible to get near to him and it not change you. Isaiah chapter 58 verses 6 through 8 actually explains what happens to people whose lives are changed through fasting. The whole chapter is dedicated to fasting, but this is what happens to the world of someone that is fasting with the right motive. It says that they loose the bonds of wickedness, that they undo the heavy burdens, that they let the oppressed go free, that they break every yoke, that they give bread to the hungry and provide the poor with housing, that their light breaks forth like the morning, that their health springs forth speedily, that their righteousness goes before them and that the cause or the glory of the Lord begins to be their reward. Notice when you begin fasting, you're saying change me, but it's impossible for your life to be changed and it not to end up expanding into changing the world. One of the reasons we always end the fast with something like Super Bowl, where we encourage people to bring their friends and kind of an evangelistic weekend is because the goal is not just to get so spiritual. We forget about people that are away from God, but we get close to God and we allow God to change us. And as God's changing us, the hope is that he would use us to be an influence in the world around us. And so the Bible is clear that God changes us and it changes our world. The early church, watch this, Epiphanes, the Bishop of Salamis, born in AD 315, on the fourth and the sixth days of the week, every week, notice this, the third century church, on the fourth and sixth days of the week, they were designated to observe fasting And this was a call for Christians throughout the whole world. They would fast for several days every year before Easter to prepare spiritually for the celebration of the resurrection. It was customary in those days for Christians to fast in preparation for their baptism. The sixth century reformers always practiced fasting. Jonathan Edwards fasted almost 24 hours before preaching the famous sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. In 1859, a prayer revival broke out beginning in New York, York City and influenced businessmen all across the world as people would come together and fast at lunchtime and come to a church and pray. The worldwide awakening in 1906 began with prayer and fasting. In the 50s, Billy Graham went to England and they called a time of fasting. At the end of that time of fasting, they had some of his crusades. And at the end of Billy Graham's life, it was said the response to those meetings is described as one of the greatest revivals of our time. The pilgrims fasted before the Mayflower left in 1620 with the initial goal of reaching the Native Americans with the gospel. What I want you to hopefully see here is that fasting can change the world, 
but it begins with changing you. Lincoln declared a day of prayer and fasting during the Civil War. British Prime Minister Winston Churchill identified September 15th, 1940 as the crux of the Battle of Britain after a day of prayer and fasting. Later, it was learned that Hitler had decided to postpone a planned invasion to Britain in two days at the end of them fasting. Listen, throughout history, fasting has changed our world. And my point is if it can bring revival to nations, if it can turn world wars, I believe that if you climb the tree of fasting, that if you'll allow it to, it can touch your life in a powerful way. And who knows if you'll say, God, change me. It might even have a way of changing your family, changing this church. It might even change our city and who knows our nation and our world. But your hope has to be, God, change me. Change me. We began this whole series with this concept of the domino effect. And there are 13 dominoes that are here. And what most people know is that a, a domino can knock down another domino its same size. But what many people don't know is that a domino can actually knock down another domino. Watch this, one and a half times its size. So there's 13 dominoes here. I have one in my hand that's five millimeters tall and one millimeter thick. Getting up to the tallest one that's over a meter tall in approximately 100 pounds. Now we only have 13 dominoes, but if I could have 29 the final one would be the size of the Empire State Building, would be how big it was. Now, what we do is we go and we, we have the Empire State Building dreams. God, let me change my world. Let me do something great. And we have this massive Empire State Building type of mindset. And we go into our year and we have all these big plans, all these big goals. And we start with this in mind. But the truth of the matter is, it doesn't have to be anything big. Remember what I said, measured consistency, measured consistency, allowing the fast to begin to make some small adjustments in your life. Small adjustments with the goal of I'm taking this time to allow you to change me in such a way that you can change my whole life. And we don't know the ultimate impact of what can happen. And so if I take this little, small, I should have a pair of tweezers to get it set. But I'm going to go ahead and try to see if I can. Saints pray right now. It's supposed to work. You ready? There you go. You know, they said that the amount of energy that was spent 
from that moment to this moment was two billion times greater by the end than what it was at the beginning. That just that small amount of energy, just a little amount of energy was turned into something two billion times greater. It's what has been said is the most powerful force in the whole world, compound interest. Albert Einstein said that compound interest is the eighth wonder of the world. Those people who understand it, earn from it, and those who don't, pay for it. That what began just as something so small, just a little bit of energy over time can become so much greater. See, a lot of people want to know what's my life going to be like at the end of 2019? What's my life going to be like in 10 years, in 15 years? Who, what am I going to be like? The truth of the matter All time does, it doesn't create who you are. It doesn't make who you are. It reveals who you are. You want to know what the future you looks like? It's just an exaggerated version of what you are right now. And so time is not on anybody's side. What we simply do is we take these periods of time in our life and we say, God, it may not seem like much, To other people, it may not seem like much. Even to you, it may not seem like much. It may be so small. It may be so insignificant. But 21 days of focused, God, change me. Lord, change me in such a way that when I look at myself in the future, I can't always tell you how the fast has made a difference in who I am today. Because for 18 years, it's been such a small thing. But all I can do is tell you, I would never want to know the Marcus I would be if I never gave God those 21 days every year. Every year, even me, I get sloppy. Every year, I find my heart getting hard or cold. I find my spiritual disciplines getting weak. I find myself becoming lackadaisical in areas that I shouldn't be. Every year, God uses that time in my life to begin to say, okay, what kind of person do you want to be? Where do you want to go? What's that empire state building dream? And don't just sit there and talk about something like that you want to do. You have to start with these small things and know that measured consistency over time can accomplish massive things, can accomplish massive, massive things. Zacchaeus, all he did was climbed a tree, climbed a tree, be easy to miss it. Because he was willing to climb, he could have climbed up a little bit and said, this is a waste of my time. This is too much energy, too much effort. He's breaking a sweat, feels a little bit of pain and crawled down. But he made a decision to put some muscle into it, put some effort into it, get his eyes off of what everybody else was doing. And as he climbed, he was able to see Jesus more. 
And the scripture says it changed his life in such a way that his commitment was to give half, that he was wealthy, half. We don't really know what Zacchaeus ended up giving. We don't really know. The scripture doesn't say. It says that he said he would give half to the poor and that he would return back to those he had, he had taken from. That's what it says. We do have some historical documents. There's a, actually an Arabic historian that lived in Jericho at the time of Jesus. And he writes that Zacchaeus gave what would be in our time $27 million equal to $27 million to the poor and $17 million he repaid back from those he took advantage of. We don't know whether that happened or not, but what we do know is that Zacchaeus climbed the tree. It changed his life. And we can see that in one way, shape, or form or another, it inspired him to bring a change to his entire world. I don't know what 2019 looks like for our church. I'm not asking that our church changes the world. I'm just asking that each one of us say, God, would you change me? Would you do a work in me? Is there something off in me? Is there something you can work on in me? And what trees do I have to climb so I can see you and so you can see me?